0: Please turn your Bibles to the 11th chapter of Genesis. We've been following the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings and in our small groups. and uh, We have completed the flood and we pick up now with the building of the Tower of Babel. Of course, as you go through Genesis, you hit certain prominent men like Noah, or Abraham. we're told in uh, the book of Hebrews, these men did what they did through faith. By faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his house. By faith, Abraham went out, not knowing whither he went. And we're told in Scripture that God looks for men of faith. It says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth uh, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him or who trust in him thinking of looking up for a particular kind of a man uh, I'm reminded of a story that uh, Mike Colon tells, he played for Auburn, Captain Crunch and then he played for the Miami Dolphins he tells how uh, while he was playing for Miami, Coach Jordan asked him to recruit for him and he said well coach, what kind of men are we looking for? And Coach Jordan said, well he says uh, the man who gets knocked down and he stays down, Mike said, we're not looking for that kind of man, are we, coach? Coach said, that's right. And the coach said, you know, the kind of player that gets knocked down and then he gets up, but he gets knocked down again and he stays down? Mike said, we're not looking for that kind of man either, are we, coach? He said, that's right. But you know the kind of player that gets knocked down and he gets up and he gets knocked down and he gets up, he gets knocked down, he gets up, he gets knocked down, he keeps up, and gets, down, and gets up? Mike said, that's the kind of player we're looking for, right, coach? He said, no, we're looking for the guy that's knocking him down. He said, (laughs) Uh, well, God's looking for fellows that knock him down. And uh, Noah was one such. We come now to the building of the Tower of Babel. Helmut Thieleke says that uh, this ancient chronicle actually contains a compendium of The course of this world. Notice the unity of men at this point in verse 1. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Their unity. They come up with a great project. Verse 3. They said to one another, go to. Let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slam had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Archaeological investigations have discovered towers like this in that area of the world. Close to Babylon, right on the borders of Babylon, the city of Babylon, which has been uncovered. You find uh, two of these towers. They're called ziggurats. Uh, their base is about uh, a football field doubled. And they are seven stories high, immense undertakings. They're made of burned brick, just like this one is described as being. The purpose here, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth reach unto heaven probably this was for the purpose of worship but not worshiping the true God they find on the top of these ziggurats, uh, zodiacs Uh, Babylon was apparently where astrology originated they would worship the moon or the planets or the stars, false worship. Let us make us a name. They seek fame, glory, honor for themselves, not for God. Let us, uh, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the whole earth. Francis Schaeffer says, this is the first public declaration of secular humanism. Let us make us name. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Their goal wasn't to fulfill God's will. He had commanded after the flood that they spread abroad and fill the earth, replenish the earth. But they decidedly and determinedly counteract that. They want to stay there. Derek Kidner in his commentary says, Men conscious of new abilities prepare to glorify and fortify themselves by collective effort. The elements of the story are timelessly characteristic of the spirit of the world. The project is typically grandiose. Men speak excitedly to one another about it, very much as modern man glories in his space projects and accomplishments. The point is, it wasn't God's city, It wasn't for God's glory. It was man's city, for man's glory. Man conceives it. Man constructs it. Uh, Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us bring about the good society without God. Helmut Thieleke, in his book, How the World Began, comments on this undertaking. He's a German preacher and theologian. He says... When God said to man, subdue the earth, he had something totally different in mind. What God was saying to him was, cultivate and fashion this created world in my name and as my representative. Pursue the art of reading and writing, practice the arts and sciences as a service of God. But all this it turns out quite otherwise. I am the master, says man. And therefore, I'm not going to go on stumbling over the prohibitions of this allegedly higher being. I'm free, and therefore, I can do what I will. Therefore, I can experiment and see how far I can go. I have reason and intellect, and therefore, I'm not going to be tied to standards and stipulations which I can't verify for myself and accept in freedom. With my intellectual equipment, it's utterly impossible to expect me to believe in something that's invisible, and commit myself to those alleged commands of God? Am I not autonomous? Am I not homo sapiens? That's the spirit of what we have here. Someone has paraphrased the Lord's Prayer and to what we could call the humanist prayer. Our brethren who art on earth, hallowed be our name. Our kingdom come, our will be done. On earth, for there is no heaven. We must get this day our daily bread. We neither forgive nor are forgiven. We fear not temptation, for we deliver ourselves from evil. For ours is the kingdom and the power, and there is no glory nor forever. That's the spirit of this undertaking. While God intervenes, the intervention by God in verse 6 of verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. We have anthropomorphic language where God is described in human terms. The Lord came down. The Lord doesn't need to come down to see, but that's just putting it in human terms. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they began to do, now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. God looks at it, and he sees a note of foreboding. He says, better division than collective apostasy. As they labor at this, God's purpose for the world and for mankind will be thwarted. This will lead to a second culmination of evil like the one before the flood. And so God intervenes and God confounds their language. Verse 7, go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build a city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Someone's written a limerick. The waters uproar, excuse me, their tower's impressive statistics pleased architects, boosters, and mystics. But their excessive pride caused the Lord to decide it was time for them to study linguistics. He confounds the language. How did all the different languages come about? Uh, the person who believes that all of this happened without God's hand by evolution per se would say, well, uh, it all began with an animal trying to communicate with another animal. And then you had the naked ape who came along, man, and he grunted and gradually came up with a very simple language. And then it got more and more complex until our day. But you know, an interesting thing, as you go back in history, instead of language being simpler, it's more complex. Study uh, the Greek, the classical Greek of Socrates' day, 400-500 B.C., compared to Corne Greek. Classical Greek, much more complicated. Your people who work with the Aborigines or people like Don Richardson, who labors with tribes in New Guinea. They will tell us that their language is much more complicated than our language. Uh, One verb may have a thousand different forms. Here's the biblical description of how the division of languages came about. And there's no natural explanation for this. Well, you have the, the project and the intervention by God. What would be some modern parallels in our day to the Tower of Babel, this undertaking? Anything where we seek to secure peace and harmony and unity, but God's left out, we're going to build a good society without God, it's doomed to failure. The United Nations, United Nations is doomed to failure. Man coming together, we're going to bring about peace in the world without God, it'll never happen. Communism is a good illustration of a modern Tower of Babel. Whitaker Chambers is a familiar name, I imagine. Whitaker Chambers was a famous communist spy in this country back in the 40s. He's the one who turned testimony on Alger Hiss, led to the conviction of Alger Hiss. Alger Hiss was a very close confidant of Roosevelt, was the architect of the Yalta Agreement and the United Nations. Whitaker Chambers broke with the Communist Party. He did so at great danger to himself and his family. And he wrote a book, The Witness, to explain to his children why he became a communist and why why he left the Communist Party. And here's what he says to his children. He says, I see in communism... The focus of the concentrated evil of our time. You will ask, why then do men become communists? How did it happen that you, our gentle and loved father, were once a communist? Were you simply stupid? No, I was not stupid. Were you morally depraved? No, I was not morally depraved. Indeed, educated men become communists chiefly for moral reasons. Did you not know that the crimes and horrors of communism are inherent in communism? Yes, I knew that fact. Then why did you become a communist? Communism makes a profound appeal to the human mind. Karl Marx said it like this. Philosophers have explained the world. It is necessary to change the world. The tie that binds communists across the frontiers of nations, the barriers of language and differences of class and education, the thing that binds them together is the conviction it's necessary to change the world. Communists are that part of mankind which has recovered the power to live or die, to bear witness for its faith. It is not new. It is, in fact, man's second oldest faith. Its promise was whispered in the first days of the creation under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ye shall be as gods. It is the great alternative faith of mankind. Like all great faiths, its force derives from a simple vision. The communist vision is the vision of man without God. It is the vision of man's mind displacing God as the creative intelligence of the world. It is the vision of man's liberated mind by the sole force of its rational intelligence redirecting man's destiny and reorganizing man's life and the world. You will ask, why then do men cease to be communists? Very few do. It tells of one man that uh, was a leader in his nation, who was immensely pro Soviet, and then who defected from communist affiliation, much to the embarrassment of his daughter, who was a quote intellectual. And someone asked her, Well, why did your father defect from the communist camp? And her answer, She said, you will laugh at me, but you must not laugh at my father. One night in Moscow, he heard screams. That's all. He heard screams. What communist has not heard those screams? They come from husbands torn forever from their wives and midnight arrests. They come muffled from execution cellars of the secret police and so on. That's part and parcel of communism. But he says, that's not why I broke. I was aware of those screams. What led to his break? One day, he was sitting at the breakfast table watching his little girl eat breakfast. He loved his daughter. And as he looked at her, his eyes fell on her ear. The thought passed through my mind, he says... No, those ears were not created by any chance coming together of atoms in nature, the communist view. They could have been created only by immense design. The thought was involuntary and unwanted. I crowded it out of my mind, but I never wholly forgot it or the occasion. I had to crowd it out of my mind. If I had completed it, I should have had to say, Design presupposes God. I did not know then that at that moment the finger of God was first laid upon my forehead. A communist breaks because he must choose at last between irre- irreconcilable opposites God or man, soul or mind, freedom. Or communism. The crisis of the Western world exists to the degree in which it is indifferent to God. The only possible answer to the communist challenge, faith in God or faith in man, is the challenge, faith in God. Communism, a modern Tower of Babel. But materialism in the West You have many here in the West who are not communists, but they live their life as practical atheists. Oh, they might say they believe in God. But they don't serve God. They serve man. They build their Tower of Babel. They live for the values of this world. Let us make us a name. Most of our society is like that. Many of us were like that. Some of you. Are like that. You know, you have parallels internationally. You'd have parallels in the sciences. Read C.S. Lewis's book, That Hideous Strength, in which he speaks of this attitude in the sciences often where we are going to remake the human race. We can improve on what God has done. Or in our lives Each of us Has the temptation to build a Tower of Babel in our own lives It may be sports Let us make us a name Let me make me a name It may be your business It may be your home It may be your child That you are building your life upon and around Uh, This is what gives meaning to your life it may be your lifestyle, where you seek the good life. Television tells us where the good life is, doesn't it? You've seen the ad recently? The night belongs to Michelob. Does the night belong to Michelob? Some folks' nights belong to Michelob, don't they? Are they building a Tower of Babel? Are they seeking the good life and secure their values in a particular approach to life? Years ago, a girl wrote, Peter Marshall Sr., a letter. And he preached a sermon in response to her letter. The letter read like this, in part, I smoke, I drink, I pet. I haven't gone the limit yet, but only God knows whether I will. My family does not seem to know that I'm bad. Here are some of my questions. Did my mother do the things I do? Did my older sisters? Am I wrong in uh, pursuing this? Is, uh, Is that the way of the world? Shall we go to heaven or hell following such acts? Does God care? Do you preachers know that we young people do these things? He wrote... A sermon entitled, Heaven Heaven Can't Wait. Each of you has a philosophy of life. It may be sound or it may be false. It may be Christian, it may be pagan. It lies back of every decision you make. And it shows itself in a hundred different ways. The type of amusements you seek, the kind of pictures you prefer, the magazines and newspapers you read, the television programs you watch, your favorite songs. All of these things are indicative of your thinking and are clues to your philosophy of life. Such a clue, he says, I believe is the title of the song, Heaven Can Wait, which was a popular song. In effect, it would say, you're young only once, let's have our fun while we can. Heaven can wait. Always there have been young people who have fallen victims to this pagan philosophy. It says, I wonder why so many young people are afraid of that which is high, afraid of high ideals, afraid of high thoughts, of high morality. Most of you want to get married, and you desire your marriage to be success. You would like to give yourself to something worthwhile. Inside, uh, there's stirrings and longings and a hunger for the real meaning of life. You're in search of happiness, he says, but you don't know where to find it or even how to look. So meanwhile, you say, let's don't worry. Live for the day, Do what comes naturally. Heaven can wait. Can heaven wait? Will heaven wait? Heaven can't wait. Youth is a period when the most important decisions of life or particularly that God's guidance is needed for these. You make great decisions. It's in youth that we form our basic ideals and philosophies. It's in youth when we come to crossroads where decisions are made between right and wrong, to do homework or to take out a sexy magazine, to uh, take a low grade or to cheat, when we get caught doing something wrong, to tell the truth or to lie. Habits are begun in youth that solidify like concrete. Choosing friends that help you lift your thinking or lower it by tempting you to do things that deep inside you know are wrong. It's usually in youth that we select a life partner. Joan of Arc was 17 when she was riding at the head of the army that liberated France from the English. John Calvin was 26 when he wrote his institutes. Heaven can't wait. Youth is a crucial time. But voices that are unheeded have a way of being heard no more. You say, well, I guess you're right. Heaven can't wait. What do I need to do? Well, what you need to do is to make a real, genuine, all-out, no-holds-barred commitment to Jesus Christ. Where you say, Jesus Christ I'm not going to build my city for my glory. I'm going to live my life for your glory. You're going to be the master and I'm going to be the servant. And my whole philosophy of life is you are the meaning of life. You are the Son of God. You came into this world to die for sinners. I am a sinner. I yield my will to you. I trust you to forgive me on the basis of your death. And I'm yours and that's it. You call the shots. My life is yours. Everything I have is yours. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Though no one joined me, yet still I'll follow. No turning back. No turning back. You make that kind of a commitment. And then you follow up on it by doing those things that will promote Christian growth in your life. You associate with the people of God. You turn away from things that trip you up spiritually. You you join that small group. You get involved in that youth activity. You get up daily and you give time to God's Word because man shall not live by bread alone. You pray because incredibly, you as a Christian can go into the presence of the Holy God who controls this world, who created it, and have audience with the King of Kings. Is that a worthwhile thing to do? You know, unity per se is nothing. The question is, what are we united around and what are we united for? What is the spirit of the thing? Is God in it? Is God a part of it? Is it for his glory? Is it for our glory? And the whole world may go that way, but it doesn't mean it's the right way. The broad road leads to destruction. Many there be that go there, says Christ. The things that they were seeking, security, Meaning, purpose, something worthwhile to give yourself to. They're found in Christ. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. Whoever will save his life shall lose it. If you save your life for yourself, you'll lose it. Whoever loses his life gives it to me. The same shall save it. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There was a... Martyr of the third century by the name of Cyprian Christian martyr He wrote this to a friend This is a cheerful world As I see it from my garden under the shadows of my vine But if I were to ascend some high mountain and look over the wide lands You know very well what I would see Brigands on the highway Pirates on the sea Armies fighting Cities burning in the amphitheaters, men murdered to, a plea, to please applauding crowds, selfishness and cruelty and misery and despair under all roofs. It is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am one of them. Heaven cannot wait. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, are you building a Tower of Babel? Or are you building on the foundation of Jesus Christ? The only foundation that will last on God's day of inspection. Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back? No turning back. Are you doing those things that will promote that in your life daily? What about how we handle our material resources? Our time and energies, our volunteerism. If you've never genuinely made that decision to follow Jesus, really in your heart, do so today. Heaven can't wait. Pray in your heart like this Lord Jesus, right now. I tear down my tower and I come to you. I surrender to you as my master and I trust you as my savior. Come into my life and change me. Make me a man of God. Lord, I pray that you'd show me those towers and By your power, help me to tear them down. Amen.